0: It's so great to be back with you on another episode of Move the Ball. Today, inside the huddle with us and ready to help us to move the ball is J.J. Burden. J.J. went to the University of Oregon where he was a two-sport star in football and track and field. And J.J. was a wide receiver who was drafted by the Cleveland Browns in the 1988 draft. And he played nine seasons with the Browns, the Cowboys, the Chiefs and the Atlanta Falcons. And now JJ is a motivational speaker and he helps individuals seize their opportunities in life. JJ, welcome to the show.
1: Hey Jan, it's really nice to be on your show and I'm excited to share a little bit about myself and any success tips with your audience.
0: Great. Well, I've been looking forward to our conversation. You're doing so many great things and I'm just excited to, to really get into it. So first off, a two-time collegiate athlete is pretty impressive. To be a one-sport athlete is impressive, but two, kudos to you. You are awesome.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. And it's funny you said that because I don't think people realize how difficult it is to do college athletics, let alone two. So yeah, thank you.
0: (laughs) And uh, tell us, so how has being an athlete really helped to position you for success off the field?
1: Well, I believe, you know, there's a lot of similarities to being an athlete being in the business world there's just so many qualities you learn in athletics just the journey of being an athlete and the training and the discipline and the hard work and dealing with change and competition and the mentorship i mean there's so many lessons that i've been able to take right into life after football and implementing those same principles the beauty is i don't have to worry about someone trying to hit me or running for my life anymore it's more about um applying the principles in the business world and achieving some pretty awesome goals.
0: Great. And so you were a wide receiver when you played football. And for those listeners who aren't too familiar with the sport, I've got some great listeners who listen to football or watch football, follow football religiously. And there's some that aren't necessarily as familiar with the sport, but are definitely interested in learning how the athlete mentality can help us to be successful beyond the game. Can you tell our listeners what it's like to play the position of wide receiver and you know what skills are really needed to be successful.
1: It's an interesting position it was one I gravitated to quickly because wide receivers are known for their speed, being fast, but they also have to catch the ball. So the ability to run fast and catch the ball is is a skill set and I loved it because when the ball is in the air, the mentality of a wide receiver is that ball is yours. You do whatever you can to catch the ball. Although you're going to have guys around you who are trying to hit you and trying to intercept the ball. So you really got to have focus and concentration. And and I just love those qualities and qualities, obviously, that have helped me in life after football. But um, I've always said that I love football, but I think wide receiver is the best position to play on the field because it's the most exciting.
0: Sure. You know, people ask me, you know, Jen, if you had played football, what position would you play? And so what do I tell them? I tell them that I play wide receiver. So definitely can uh, share with you in uh, the view that it is the most exciting or one of the most exciting positions to play in the sport. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It really is. And I tell you, Jen, one of the things I like about it is is you have to have good focus and concentration. Because and I've met a lot of wide receivers who are just as athletic of me, but they couldn't really focus, meaning that you have to catch this leather ball that's coming at who knows what speeds, While guys are running all around you, you have to maintain your focus. And so I think that is definitely one of the qualities I've picked up in life after football in my business pursuits, being able to maintain my focus with so many different distractions around me.
0: So share with us how do you do that? How do you maintain that focus? What's worked for you?
1: Well, what worked for me is as athletes, we would literally kind of train our mindset to be able to eliminate distractions and really focus on the ball. We would do these, these uh, drills we call distraction drills where guys would run in front of us and they would put their hands over in front of our eyes to try to distract us from catching the ball. But Through practice, we got better and better to be able to control our thinking and master our thoughts and really lock in on the ball. And so I've been able to take those same principles and do the same thing in the business world, too, because mastery is all about practice. And if somebody is being distracted by so many different things and they got to practice the proper skill set to be able to maintain that focus so that they can't get distracted. But it took some time, but through a lot of practice, we were able to get it down.
0: And you bring up a really good point because I think sometimes we lose sight of the focus that we need to practice to improve, right? We can't just start something new and expect us to excel at it right away. It's really through that repetition and that continual practice and improvement. That's how we get better at our craft and the job.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things I always tell people, I say, you know what? You've got to protect your focus like it's a million-dollar suitcase. I mean, if you had a million dollars in a suitcase, I mean, how would you protect that suitcase as you're walking through the airport? I mean, you would protect it because you know the value in it. Well, that's the same thing with your focus. you got to protect it because what could you accomplish if you truly focused on what you're doing? And so it's a nice way to understand the importance of protecting it and the value it could produce
0: yeah i really like that so thanks for sharing that i'm gonna i'm gonna take that and and keep thinking about that protecting that million dollar suitcase yeah (laughs) so you played college ball at oregon Mm -hmm. tell us what was tell us about your most memorable game and why was it memorable to you
1: well for me just playing football in college was exciting because i wasn't there to to play football i was actually there on a track scholarship and the second year i begged the coach to allow me to to try out and so they gave me a shot and i made the team and you know i did that's why i did both sports so um so when i look at my college career i didn't really have a great career statistically but i was more proud that i proved so many people wrong because coming out of high school i was five nine, 133 pounds and by the time I got to Oregon, I was 152, but I wasn't your prototypical college-wide receiver. So just the fact that I did, I made it. And I tell you, there's nothing more exciting when you can prove the naysayers wrong and the, and the dream stillers wrong. And, and that's what I was able to do. I wasn't trying to get to the NFL. I was just trying to show them I could do it. So I would just say the making the team for me was really the highlight.
0: That's great. And talk to us about how do you deal with the naysayers? Because no matter who you are and no matter what job you have, we all have had naysayers in our lives. So how did you deal with those type of people?
1: I dealt with them first by this. I focused on my motivation. What is driving me? What is my why? You know, why do I want to play college football? Why do I want to go to college? Why do I want to run track? And for me, what was driving me was to change my circumstances. You know, I was raised in, you know, a, a part of Northeast Portland where we kind of struggled and I just wanted something more. So that was driving me. So when I got to college and I tried out for football and everybody said, you're too small, you shouldn't do this. I didn't care what they thought because it wasn't for them to understand my journey. It was for me to understand it and me to commit to it. When you have that burning desire and you know what you want and why you want it, the process to get there is not a challenge. And you should not allow anyone to take your dream if you want it bad enough.
0: Oh, that's great. I, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. So now your goal wasn't playing in the NFL, but you were drafted in the NFL and you played there for many seasons. So talk to us, what was that like, you know, that you were being drafted? And then also, were there any eye-opening aspects as you transitioned from playing college ball to playing professional football?
1: Absolutely. So my senior year, I was getting ready for track and field nationals. I had qualified for the 1988 Olympic trials. So that was really the dream. That was the plan. I didn't think I was going to get drafted, but I was this mystery track guy who could catch the ball, you know? So I knew there was a chance. And I remember getting the call from the Cleveland Browns head coach, Marty Schottenheimer. And when he called me, I was like, who is this? And he's like, it's a head coach, Marty Schottenheimer for the Cleveland Browns. I was like, seriously, because I thought it was a joke, you know, but it was really him and it was kind of exciting, but I was curious enough and I thought, well, they have a three-day mini camp for the rookies the next week, so I'll go to that and then I will come back, finish school, go to Nashville, see if I can make the Olympic team. So I go to the Cleveland Browns rookie camp the next week and I tear up my ACL ligament in my left knee. For me, that was the first time I really experienced a bad injury. But I'm a very positive person and I recognize the track was over, but hey, I get my foot in the doorway to the NFL. So that next year I spent time on Cleveland Browns injured reserve list. And I tell you, this was probably a blessing in disguise because I was able to sit back, watch and learn how to play at that level. And the biggest difference I saw right away from college and pro was the speed of the game. It was so much faster because Everybody was a great athlete. Everybody was an All-American. Everyone had all the physical gifts. And so what I learned was that we had to find those little 2 to 3% incremental improvements, little improvements here and there in our game. And that was really the difference maker. And so I really believe that first year watching was instrumental to me playing nine years because I didn't have that pressure that first year to play.
0: Gotcha. And so you mentioned earlier, you, know, you were a smaller guy. In the league, right? So there's guys that are bigger, maybe some guys faster, stronger in the league, but you played in the NFL for nine seasons and people joke around that NFL stands for not for long, right? The, the average NFL career is 3.2 years. And so what habits did, did you put into place to ensure that you would have a longer playing career and beat that average?
1: Yeah, I recognize those odds. And and I'm going to update you because I recently found out from the NFL Players Association, the average football player's career has now dropped less than two years. So what you shared is true. It's hard to make it and it's hard to stay. So when I got there, I realized that, man, I have an opportunity here. I've got to treat every day like it's game day. So every day I was constantly trying to get better, working on my craft, you know, learning from the veterans, watching and learning and applying. And and even when I made it, when I became that starter my fourth or fifth year, I didn't get comfortable. I didn't get complacent. It was every day the attitude was, how can I be better than I was the day before? How can I be better than I was the year before? And because of that, I was on this constant pursuit, raising the bar, so to speak, of my performance. Where a lot of guys, you know, they have that big game or that great year, they kind of back off. And those are the ones who careers end up short. So so I was just constantly challenging myself. But I'll tell you, when you're 5'10", 157 pounds, in the NFL, one of the smallest, um, they're constantly bringing in taller guys to take your job. And so every year I was beating out these taller guys. But it kept me on my toes. It kept me hungry. and kept me working hard.
0: And you bring up a really good point because I think, well, two things. One, sometimes we we live in the successes of yesterday, and then we become complacent. And then we don't think about that continual improvement, that striving for more and continually raising the bar. But the other thing that you you bring up is in the athletic arena, you do have people competing for your jobs. In the corporate sense, you don't always have someone. They're not just going to get rid of you the next year unless you're significantly underperforming. Right? or you do something bad so it's very easy for us off the field to get complacent because we lose sight of there's other people that will want our job if we don't improve but in the athletic space that's a very real thing that people are always focused on i got to perform or i'm going to be gone
1: yeah it's an interesting concept because you might have five other wide receivers behind you and they're your teammates they're waiting for you to mess up. They want your job and you can feel them every day trying to get it. So you have to be on your toes. You have to keep challenging yourself. You have to keep raising the bar. And I was able to do that, just constantly challenging myself and pushing myself. And I know that was instrumental in me playing nine years.
0: Yeah, I think that the takeaway for people listening is you've always got to continually strive to improve and grow and push yourself and you can't become complacent. Uh, whether you're an athlete or just a business person, right? Living a, a regular life, so to speak, um, you've got to stay focused on that. How can I improve? How can I be better than I was yesterday and the day before that? And so on.
1: Absolutely.
0: So you played a couple seasons with Hall of Fame quarterback, Joe Montana. Tell us, first of all, what was that like playing with Joe? And was there anything specific that really impressed you about him, not just his quarterback abilities, but about who he was as a person, his character, just his practices.
1: Yeah, it was certainly a thrill to play with him. And I think it definitely was one of my highlights because here's a guy I used to watch when I was in the eighth grade. He's, you know, winning Super Bowls with the 49ers. And now all of a sudden, I'm in a huddle with him. And so, That took some time to get over because I was more enamored with like, you know, that's Joe Montana, you know, and and he's going to be my quarterback. But um, I do know that success leaves clues and Joe Montana had won four Super Bowls before he got joined our team. So I wanted to see, it's like, what makes this guy so great? What does he do? And I watched him like a hawk. And right away, I was impressed with just who he was. Really nice guy, very down to earth. Not all professional athletes, some are, but some can kind of be a bit arrogant and not be pleasant to be around. And Joe was just the opposite. But I was impressed with just his preparation. He was in his 15th year in the NFL with all these accolades, but he still, I always say he prepared like a rookie, he studied like a veteran, and he led like a pro. I mean, he was a consummate professional and leader, which had an amazing effect on our team because leaders who lead from the front you know they set the pace that can be a a positive um result for the rest of the team because we just follow him and we did with joe and but i would say the number one thing that i took away most from him which you and i were kind of just talking about was that he was never satisfied i mean he's in his last year 16 year in the nfl he was constantly trying to get better Always studying. He was a consummate professional. He was always focusing on the details. And you could just see that he was so hungry late in his career that it it caused me to prepare better, to work harder, to be on my game because I was playing with one of the best. And so there's a guy who definitely never got complacent.
0: Oh, that's great. When I was a kid, he was playing ball in the NFL. And he's just been someone that I've always looked up to and, uh, and really like what you had to share about just his continual pushing for more never satisfied. And I think we should all adopt that we should never, you know, again get stuck in those yesterdays or be satisfied and always be pushing for more. So tell us in your playing career, what was the most satisfying moment for you?
1: Satisfying. Well, it, you know, it probably was my third year in the NFL when I finally scored my first touchdown. Because the two years prior, I mean, I had the knee injury, and then the next year I I got cut by Cleveland, and then I I went to Kansas City, Detroit, Green Bay. I flunked all their physicals because I had swelling in my knee. Then I went to Dallas. The next year, and I stayed on their practice squad the whole year. They promised me I'd play in a game. I didn't play in a game the entire year. So I go into my third year, and I'm thinking, like, okay, I got to make it. I got to do something. And finally, the Chiefs. Signed me, they put me on the team, and my second game, I scored my first touchdown. And it was so meaningful because of the journey, everything I went through, all the no's, all the injuries, the setbacks, the challenges. And it was just like an exclamation mark put on that moment where I conquered all those, what I call FASCO, you know, F A S C O, that's failures, adversities, setbacks challenges and obstacles. And I conquer them. And that moment was kind of my way of saying, I proved everybody wrong and I could do it.
0: I love it. Thank you for sharing that. So let's talk about obstacles a little more. I mean, as you know, winning in football, but also winning in life is about overcoming obstacle. So let's go off the field. Now you've hung up your cleats and you're now in the business world. Share with us an example of an obstacle that you had to overcome and any lessons that you learned from being an athlete that helped you to tackle that situation.
1: Probably the biggest obstacle or learning lesson for me transitioning because Jen, I was like very obsessed with the fact that I was not going to be one of those players who you hear who retires, he's lost, he loses his money and he's just, you know, he's going nowhere. So I was working hard towards the end of my career to network and, you know, establish business contacts so I would be able to transition. So when I retired, (laughs) I really wanted to be this entrepreneur and I had small investments like in six different businesses. Six different businesses I had my hands in, and two of them I was the majority owner. And through this 10-year period, I learned a very valuable lesson. That was don't spread yourself too thin. I tried to do too much too fast, and I couldn't be involved in the day-to-day affairs of each business. I didn't have complete knowledge and understanding of each business, and three of them failed right away, and then three of them I stayed in, but I eventually sold them. So what I learned was, you know, especially like as an athlete, you know, you got to focus on one thing and get good at it. I was a wide receiver. I spent time mastering the skill sets of what it takes to be a good wide receiver. And that was my focus. And so after that experience, now being a speaker, it's my business and I control it and I understand it and I make all the decisions and I, you know, I have time to invest in. And so That was one of the lessons I learned. I share that, especially with athletes who are trying to get in all these businesses. I say, get in one business and get good at that. Make sure it's in your local area so you can have a presence and be there from day to day.
0: That's a great story because I think it's it's so easy for us to try to take on too many things because some people will say it's the fear of missing out, right? You're afraid like, oh, if I don't get in on this, I'm going to miss out on something. And then what happens is you're committing yourself to too many things and then you can't do anything well because you're just spread so thin.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I've continued to carry that lesson because I'm very active on social media and I interact with a lot of people. So I have so many people constantly trying to get me involved in something else or trying to offer this. And I've gotten very comfortable with saying no, because I know what I want. I know what I need to do. I know what lines up with what I'm doing right now. And so um, it's just nice to know that I'm not. One of my favorite sayings is those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. Okay, well, I'm not going to repeat the history, the mistakes I made those first 10 years being in all those different businesses.
0: Right. And I love that you talk about using the word no, because that's something that I'm also very active on social media. And I will talk often about using the power of no, very intentionally and saying no to the things that aren't going to serve you in general. But even each day as you plan out your day, like what are the things that are important that you're going to say yes to, and you're going to say no to the other things because they're not the priority.
1: Yeah, excellent. Good point.
0: So let's talk about your morning routine. Tell us, you know, how do you keep focused? How do you keep energized? And how do you stay ready to take on the day and move the ball? What are your morning practices?
1: My practices start the night before. I'm very regimented. What I learn in athletics, structure, schedules, you know, I've continued to do, live my life that way. Now, every night I look at my schedule, I set the schedule for the next day so that when I wake up, I can hit the ground running. I'm not guessing what I'm doing. I know exactly what I'm doing because I want to be on purpose. Or like you said, I want to be intentional. So, First thing I do, 5 a.m., I'm at the gym. (laughs) I'm at the gym. I I still have the routine of working out. I love working out. I do a lot of my great thinking there. But also, it helps relieve stress. (laughs) It helps relieve anxiety and helps prepare you for the day. And once that workout is done, then I'm, I'm in the office and I'm working my calendar. I'm working the schedule that I've already set. And so, I've had to do a couple of things from time to time to make sure I'm more productive, like turn my phone off or stay away from social media. I actually got an hourglass that's about 15 minutes that kind of monitors how much time I spend on social media, because although social media can be a positive thing, it can also be a time waster. So. Uh, little things like that have helped me to be more productive throughout my day.
0: I like that having a little time glass to keep track of how long you're on social media, because you're absolutely right that it can just suck up time. And before you know it, you've been online for an hour, right? And that's not, that's an hour you don't have anymore. And so I completely uh, agree with you with limiting the amount of time that you're spending on social media and appreciate you sharing that morning routine with us.
1: Yeah, I find out when I set my schedule I try to do time blocking. So if I need to do social media I might block out 30 minutes. Or if I need to do some writing or prep work for a keynote or if I need to do anything related to my business I block out those times so I know that time is committed for that task specifically.
0: Yes, I do the same. It's a great way to stay focused, stay on task and that phone is not anywhere near me <laughs> when I have those block times because that way you don't get distracted.
1: Yeah, nice job.
0: So you're doing motivational speaking. Now, one of the things that you talk about often is that before you can lead others, you must have the ability to lead yourself. And there has to be an I in team. Tell us a little bit more about what that means. Just give us a little snippet.
1: Yeah, I came up with that because obviously, you know, there's uh, no I in team. Is a very popular saying, you know, if you're part of a team, you understand the importance of putting the team first and the team's goals ahead of your own goals. And that's very true. But I also firmly believe that there's value to there better be an I in team. And what that means is you got to focus on yourself. You got to do your job in order to benefit the team. And I learned that through football because you got 11 guys on an offense. If one guy does not do his job, that can affect the entire play. But when all of them do their job successfully, it allows the team to be more successful. So I'm – Sending the message to the business world, these people who are leading teams, in order to be a true leader, you got to lead yourself first. You got to set the example and set the pace for your team. And so that's the message uh, I'm sending with that. It kind of catches everybody by surprise, but they get it once they kind of explain a little bit.
0: No, I think it's a great phrase. And that's why I wanted to ask you about it and have you explain it because it does make you do a double take like what there should be an I in team? What are you talking about? So I, I think t- it's very catchy. And it's a great way to to have a conversation and explain, you know, what your point is. And it's a great point, And it's something that we should all be focused on? Because everybody does have to do their job if we want the team to continue to move the ball forward.
1: Yeah. And and if a leader is really setting that example and they they know their personal leadership skill and the team recognize it and you get more out of your team. But how many times have us, I know I've had some very bad coaches that, oh my goodness, that just, their example was horrible. And I, I had problems following their lead, you know, versus other coaches who, I had one coach like Marty Schottenheimer with the Chiefs. He used to play. And you could tell by his leadership, he understood what it was like to play in the NFL, so to speak. You know, so I just remind leaders that, you know, make sure you lead yourself before you really can effectively lead your team.
0: Oh, that's great. Thanks for, for sharing that. And I hope people, as you're listening to this episode, I hear you think about like how can I be a better leader to lead the team and make sure that I'm doing my part to contribute yeah. to that team's success. Exactly. All right. So I'm going to switch gears and I'm going to do my two minute drill, which is seven questions. We're just going to go boom, boom, boom. All right. Let's do it. All right. Here we go. What's your favorite food? French fries. I love French fries. (laughs) Do you tell people about that? Because I know you're a health, you're big on (laughs) health. I know
1: I do. I tell them, I say, but I am a health, I live a healthy lifestyle. So that if I want to have French fries, then I can have them, and then I just get back on my program the next
0: day. <laughs> there, you, there you go. All right, uh, what's your favorite movie?
1: My favorite new movie now is Endgame. I loved Endgame. I love all the Marvels movies, and I just love the way they wrapped up that whole series. So, Endgame is my new favorite movie.
0: That's brilliant. It was a great movie. My daughter is a very big Marvel Avengers fan. And so um, I hear about the Avengers all the time, but it was a fantastic movie. And Disney has done a spectacular job, really looping all the characters, tying them in, having the series.
1: They really have. And I think, Jen, I've watched it now 10 times.
0: Wow. (laughs) Good for you. (laughs) All right. What's your favorite sports team?
1: My favorite sports team is the Super Bowl champions, the Kansas City Chiefs.
0: Good for you. I had a feeling you would say that, by the way. <laughs> yeah.
1: When you look at nine years in the NFL, five of those were with the Chiefs. So that's where my love goes towards. <laughs> it was
0: a great it was a great game, um, the Super Bowl was. And so uh, congratulations to the Chiefs. A job well done. Yeah. The next question is, what is the best piece of advice you've gotten from a coach or a mentor?
1: That's a good one, because I've had a lot of great coaches and a lot of great mentors. I'm probably going to go with my mentor who helped me launch my speaking career and helped me write my first book, Dr. Will Moreland. He, he said something to me one time after he saw one of my presentations. He said, I got some information or some things I want to share about your keynote. And he shared it with me. And he said, JJ, always remember feedback is the breakfast of champions. He said, you should always welcome feedback because it's going to make you better. And I just, I love that. And it's something I've always embraced. You know, again, how can I get better? Where can I make improvement? And when you have a mentor or someone who's been there, done that, their feedback is so valuable in terms of you being successful. So feedback is the breakfast of champions.
0: I think that's great. I actually wrote it down because it's, I like that. That's great. Okay, so I'm going to flip it now. What's the best piece of advice you would give somebody? I would
1: probably tell them this. I'd say anything that you do in life, if you have a goal or you're in business or you know, personal goals, whatever, always understand your why, know the reason why you're doing it. Because if you don't know the reason why you're doing it, when it gets tough, it'll be easy to quit. So you take the time and you just ask yourselves questions like, you know, why am I doing this? And once you answer that, then you say, why is that important to me? Once you answer that, you say, why is that important to me? It's called peeling the onion. You keep going down a couple of layers, but once you get that why, that seed of motivation, nothing can stop you. So always know your why, because if your why is strong enough, the process to get there is not a challenge.
0: Oh, I think that's great. I talk with people a lot about connecting to your why and staying Connected, Especially when you're looking at shifting your habits, when you're implementing new things, if you understand why you're doing it, it makes it easier to put those new habits into place to get the the outcomes you want.
1: Very good.
0: Next question is, what is one thing that most people don't know about you?
1: Most people don't know that my legal name is LeJordan J. Burden. Uh, My dad found my name out of a French book, it was Lijodan, and he changed the spelling to Le Jordan, ah,
0: which meant the gotcha. garden.
1: Uh, but when I was a kid, my older brother couldn't pronounce it. So he made up JJ and that's why everybody calls me JJ. (laughs) So,
0: okay. And the last question, if you could be any superhero, who would you be and why? I'm guessing it'll be a Marvel of some sort.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I was going to say flash because I've always been known for my speed. You know, I was, I was given the gift of speed and I love flash because he's so fast.
0: Great. Great. Thanks. Now, as we wrap up our show today, tell our listeners, what's the best? way to follow you and get a hold of you if they want to connect
1: the best way would be to go to my website jjburden.com that's sort of the hub you can learn all about me you can you know access me through social media you can sign up for my newsletter called the burden report i release a monthly motivational newsletter and uh, but i'm all over social media under the name JJ Burden. so uh connect with me i love to connect with fans and just you know help them in any way i can
0: Great. And we'll be sure to put your website as well as your social links in the show notes for people to, to follow you and connect with you. And so as we end the show, do you have any last thoughts for our listeners?
1: Yeah, I would say this, is that, you know, when I went to the University of Oregon, like I said, I wasn't there to play football. The second year, I begged the coach to give me a shot, just see if I could make the team. I made the team and I went on to play nine years in the NFL. So here's my point. You know, sometimes in life, you have to create opportunities where there appears none exists. So if there's something you want, you've got to figure out a way to get your foot in the door, to set up that meeting, to set up that opportunity, because you never know where it will take you. But again, nobody's going to give it to you. You got to go out there and make it happen.
0: Oh, that's a great piece of advice. I love that creating opportunities where there may not be one that exists. So thank you for sharing that with us. So again, thank you so much for being on the show. JJ really appreciate your insights and our conversation today.
1: Thank you so much, Jen. I appreciate being on the show and uh, keep up the good work.
0: Thank you. And thanks again for our listeners for listening to today's episode. We will talk to you next time. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And until next time, make sure that you suit up, that you show up and that you move the ball. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. To see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball, check out my website at www.jenniferagarrett.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And also join the Move the Ball Facebook group for even more content and to be a part of the Move the Ball
1: movement.